are so welcome, again, to have each and every one of you here with us today at New Life. And we're just so glad that you made today celebrating his resurrection a part here of New Life. Um, as I make a couple of uh, just uh, welcome people that uh, mean something to me, I'm going to turn your attention to John chapter 11 so you can start looking. This will be where I'm taking my scripture text for today. John chapter 11. So as you're turning there, I just want to again call attention to my wife, um, my beautiful wife of 20 years, Nettie. And uh, I'll just give her a little credit. She did have my clothes taken to get them dry, clean, and pressed. So she's real excited about her sharp-dressed husband. So there you go. I also want to uh, give, of course, honor to my parents, um, Joseph and Annette Moore. If you can just wave your hand. Um, I I just really thank them that they raised me to know the risen Savior. Um, I've been in church all my life, and just to be in his blessings, and just to know that we serve a living God. And I just thank them for that. And of course, also, um, have you, many of you have known he's been here already to support me, and he is a mentor in my life, and he is a, a best friend, and God has just really blessed me with him, and it's Pastor Wayne Cross, and I just thank God for him in my life. So, and again... I want to thank Pastor Joel. I just want to thank you for believing in me. And I want to thank New Life family um, just for your love and support over the three years that I've been here. I thank God for you. And you mean so much to me in my life. And for those that are here as, as guests today, again, we welcome you. If you do not have a church family, we want to encourage you. We would love to have you as part of our, of our family. The love that you feel here is love from from heaven above the friendships the people you meet meet are everlasting and we want to include you in with that so god bless you today as you celebrate with us so i'm going to set this up um today i'm going to take us uh beforehand what's going on and if you read in john chapter 10 you will find that jesus is talking about him being the great shepherd and he talks about how that only his sheep hear his voice And it's leading up to his time, of course, of his death and his resurrection. But there's some things along his way that he wants to to instill to people. And he wants to get people to understand exactly who he is. And along this way, we come to our text today is in John chapter 11. All the while that Jesus was on earth, he was expressing to people. He wanted people to realize who he was. And many times... As I look and read through the Gospels, I see how a lot of times Jesus is misunderstood. How many in here has ever been misunderstood? And and it kind of, as I read through, it grieves my heart because I can't imagine what it's like for for people to know who you are. Of being constantly misrepresented and constantly ridiculed and criticized for who you are. And this is what Jesus endured. So in our bulletins, one of the very important key scriptures that I wanted us to look at today and to us to really get into our hearts and our minds is actually John chapter 5, and there's many different versions in here. I know you might be strictly King James or you might be strictly NIV. That's fine. But my motto is this. 
Whatever gets you into the word of God that you can understand who he is, what he's done for you, and what, who you are in him, get that version because that's the one is made for you. Praise God. So John chapter 5 and verse 25, listen to what this says. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is. When the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. He was calling, there is a time coming that even those that appear to be dead, that they shall hear the shepherd's voice, and they will live. Very key verse to remember as I take us into John chapter 11. So Jesus is ministering. And now he comes to, as John 11 opens, and it says, now a certain man was sick. His name was Lazarus of Bethany. And it says, in the town where Mary and her sister Martha dwelt, Lazarus was from Bethany. And they sent word to Jesus. And they sent word to him that Lazarus, is sick. Lazarus is ill. How many of you in here has ever heard that someone in your life that was very important to you had became very sick? I can imagine that in your heart, your heart was grieved and you might have begun to think of them constantly or you begin to go to prayer for them. And The Bible says that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus very much. But it says when he received this word, the Bible says that he stayed where he was two days longer. How many of you have ever had times in your life where you've cried out for people? You've cried out to the Lord, I need your help, God. I'm in a dire situation. I'm in a dire need, and I need you. And there's times in your life where you feel like your prayers are not even being answered. And and, and you're, you're searching for help, and you're calling even people in your life that you feel is your best friend that has been there with you through difficult times. And now this time, you really need them, but no one comes. This is what's happened. And as I read this, I thought, wow, okay, Lord, we sent for help. We need you, and you wait two days longer. Okay. And he told his disciples that this sickness isn't to death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. See, The Bible also says that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. But we serve an on-time God. God is not operated by your time, but God has a plan for you and he has it exactly mapped out for the precise time where he will show and reveal his glory in your life. And he had a plan for Lazarus. He even goes on and tells the disciples, I'm glad. He he said, Lazarus, 
is not dead, but he's sleeping. And the disciples didn't understand, and they said, well, if he's sleeping, Jesus said, I'm going to go wake him up. And they're like, well, if he's sleeping, he'll wake up on his own. How many times in our lives that we've misunderstood things and directions and, 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 and points in our lives that God is trying to direct us in, and we misunderstand him again, and we think that he means one thing when really he's meaning another. And this is exactly what is happening here. They think Lazarus is sleeping fine. But he went on and he said, he's not sleeping. Lazarus is dead. And Jesus dwelt where he was two days longer. He stayed there. He gave them a parable. And he told them of, there's 12 hours in a day, and, and there's, there's the light, and there's the darkness. And at the time, they probably they did not really quite understand what he was talking. And more or less, what he was explaining was, just as you can't stop the sun from rising in the morning, and you can't stop the sun from setting, so is the plan that I have for Lazarus. It is the will of my father that I wait and tarry. And it's because, and, and he actually said to them, it's good that I have waited for your benefit because you are going to witness a miracle in your life. There's times when we have to wait on God. Wait, that's the hardest thing to do. But if we really put our trust and belief in him, we will see a manifestation of his glory. So it goes on, and he says again to them that I'm glad that I've tarried. And he talks about, that he came to the point, he says, okay, it's time now that we return back to Judea. And the disciples were like, wait a minute, because see, leading up, this is leading up to his, to his crucifixion. It's just a few weeks before. And they're like, but wait a minute, Lord, um, where you're wanting to go, uh, do you remember that there's people there that wants to kill you and they're probably going to want to kill us too? And Jesus said, that's fine. Again, I have a purpose. I have a plan. And so it says that they, they marched on. And the Bible says in verse 17, It says, when Jesus came, he found that he, meaning Lazarus, has already been in the tomb four days. Let me tell you why this is important. Because in Jewish tradition, that they believed that after, it's not just three days, they believed that the the spirit of the deceased stayed in the tomb approximately three days. So to them, if Jesus performed this miracle, it could be well because of our tradition, it could mean that the spirit just hovered around in the tomb and then re-entered. So that is why the Bible says four days. The Bible says that every jot and tittle, meaning every, every dot of a period and every crossing of a T, is in there for a specific reason. It's there for a purpose. So when it says four days, it's there for a reason. And it is to prove who Jesus Christ is, that there will be no explaining away. I'm sorry to tell you, atheists, 
But Jesus Christ, he still is alive and on the throne today. He still is the living God. So he says, the Bible said that at this time, when Martha heard that Jesus was entering into Bethany, the Bible says that she ran out to him. And when she came to him, she said to Jesus, if you would have been here, Lazarus would not have died. How many times in your life when you've experienced a tragedy and again you've called out to God and you said, but God, if you would have been here, you could have stopped this. You could have prevented this person from hurting me. You could have prevented my parents from leaving me. You could have prevented this tragedy that's happened in my life if you would have been here. Where were you? I believe Martha's saying, we sent people to you. Where were you in my time of need? When I needed you, you waited. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. That's the hope. Jesus even is misunderstood and still is today by people is still the God of hope. We have a hope that we will rise again. And this is what he told Martha. And she again misunderstood him. And she went back to her traditions and her religion, which she thought was familiar. And she says, oh, I know, Lord. I know he'll rise in the end of the age. Again, Jesus misunderstood. And he said to her in verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. It's not about your mind, Martha. It's not about your religion. It's not about your doctrine. It's not about what you think of me. But I am the resurrection and the life. And what you thought was dead and you thought there was no hope, the resurrection and the hope stands before you today. He's saying the same thing to you. I am standing before you today. I am your resurrection and your life. Hallelujah, Jesus. And he goes on. And he, she said, he said, do you believe? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is to come. And it says, when she had said these things, she went her way and she told her sister Mary, And the Bible said that Mary came. At this time, there was also traditions that when someone has passed, because the Bible said that there was many that came from Jerusalem um, that came to also mourn with her. 
And it was a common tradition that when, that when there was someone that has passed, that there was other people that came to mourn the death and the loss and the deceased. So at this time, when Martha came and told Mary, um, the master has need of you. He wants to speak. The Bible said that Mary got up and she ran out. And the others that were with there that was mourning thought that she was going to the grave to mourn for her brother. And it's kind of intriguing that when she came to Jesus, that she said the same thing that her sister Martha had said. If you would have been here, Jesus, my brother would not have died. He'd still be alive. It makes me think that at time that Martha and Mary must have been talking amongst themselves and in that four-day period that Jesus waited, I'm sure they were saying to each other, where is he? He said he loves us and, and we know that, that, that we mean a lot to him and we're sending to him and now he's not here. Where is he? They both said the same thing. And the Bible says that she actually fell down. It says, therefore, in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, the Bible says that he groaned in his spirit. I looked the word up, groaned. And it actually, it is a, it is a deep, um, a deep expression of sorrow, um, of grief. And the reason that I believe that this scripture is very important is because it shows the humanity of Jesus, but it also shows his deity. Because I believed at that time that when he saw his friends weeping, and those that were around mourning, that he began to realize the pain of sin and death. And he mourned because he saw what it is doing and was doing to humanity, that it held them captive, and that there was such sorrow and grief that they thought that some did not even believe in a resurrection. And the Bible said he grieved within his spirit because of death. Then in verse 34, he says to her, I believe in my spirit that Jesus was like enough. He says, where have you laid him? I can't help but think, but when I read the scripture, that I believe that the Lord is even saying to us today, because, see, in our lives, we have built up walls that, to keep people out, to keep out hurt, to keep out pain. I'll never let another man hurt me like that man. I'll never love another woman again like that woman. I'll never forgive that person for what they've done to me. And now I'm bitter, so I will build my walls to keep up safety that no one again will hurt me. We all do it. But let me tell you what happens 
when you build walls to keep others out, you also create a tomb for yourself. When you don't allow other people into your life, you also become a prisoner to your pain, your rejection, your depression, your addictions, your abandonment. And you think that you've hidden away. You think you've put it in a tomb somewhere. And then you've rolled the rock over that area in your heart. And you believe that it is a done, dead situation. But it's not. Because you haven't dealt with it. And you're trying to hide it. And you're trying to what you think to bury it. But it's only entombing you. And then you wrap yourself in grave clothes. And you thought, this part of my life is done. But what you've failed to realize is that you have also bound yourself to that feeling and that emotion and that situation in your life. And now you have become trapped and you have become captive by that point in your life. And Jesus said to her, take me where you laid him. He's saying to you today, take me to that place in your heart. Take me to the place in your heart where you rolled the stone and you thought no one will be able to come to this part again. No one will hurt me again. Jesus said, that's the place that I want to go to. And the Bible said that Jesus wept. I can't help but think that when Jesus, when God created mankind and all the uniqueness that he took to create us, that he also gave us two intriguing parts, and they are called tear ducts. And he knows that there would be a time in our lives that where we would bring laughter, and we would laugh so hard that we would cry. But he also knew there was going to be times of sorrow, and that only tears could express your grief. And now he's human. And he weeps. And they said in verse 34, Lord, come and see. And it says, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And it says, and some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? They were saying the same thing in their heart. You could have saved this man. It says, then Jesus groaned again in himself. And he came to the tomb. In verse 38. And it was a grave and a stone laid against it. And the Bible says that Jesus said to them, take away the stone. He is saying to us again today, take away the stone. There is an action that we have to do. Jesus could have easily removed the stone as he had power over creation. He created the stone. But there comes a point in your life to where you have to remove the stone of that suffering, that pain and hurt in your life. 
There is a call to action that he is calling you to today. And he said, roll away the stone. Jesus has brought people into your life along the time that you felt you were alone. How many people have you turned away where he was sending to you? And the Bible said that he prayed a prayer. And the Bible says that he didn't pray it. He didn't really need to pray it, but he prayed it for them to prove to them that he is the son of God and that he would be glorified and that they would see a miracle in their midst today. And he prayed. And he said, when he asked to remove the stone, Martha said, oh Lord, by this time it stinks. He stinks. That's what happens when we don't let the Lord into our lives. Sin stinks. Pain stinks. Suffering, loneliness, bitterness, unforgiveness, doubt, fear. It stinks. And that's why we don't want to let Jesus in. But Jesus is above that. And he said, he just ignored her request that it stinks. And he said to her, he did say to her, did I not say to you that if you would have believed, you would see the glory of God? He's saying to you, just believe. Just do what I command. Roll away the stone. Today is your resurrection day. The resurrection and life is standing before you. I am calling you out today. And as he said and cried to Lazarus, come forth. He's saying the same to you today. It is time for you to come out of your tomb, to come out of your grave clothes and come out because the resurrection and life, he is alive. The Bible said that weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. He is alive and well, and he's calling you out today. Your resurrection and life, the Bible said that he got up so you can get up. It was never God's intent for humanity to die. Do we get that? When he created Adam and Eve, he created them in a garden of perfect innocence and he created them in the likeness and image of him. It was never his intent for you to die. You will live eternally somewhere and it is never his intent for you to live in hell. He says, I have come to give you life and to give it more abundantly. Your God cares for you, even though that we serve and we celebrate today of his resurrection. Do you know that he's more concerned about your resurrection today? Do you know that he grieves when you grieve? Do you know that he feels pain when you feel pain? He doesn't want you to be entombed, but he's come to set you free. He is alive. He is the God of the living. He is still your deliverer. He's still your redeemer. He's still your healer. He's still your great I am. He is alive today. 
Hallelujah. He knew that he would come upon Golgotha Hill. He knew that they would beat him, that he would spit upon him, and that he would lead him to a cross of Calvary. But let me tell you something. All the time that he went to the cross of Calvary, you were on his mind because he knew that he would rise again. And he knew that he was bringing you out with him. He is a God that cares for you. He's a God that loves you. He's a God that wants you to come out. You don't have to be held by your addictions. You don't have to be held by your pain and suffering, but he said, I'll take it for you on the cross of Calvary. Let them beat me because it's my love that kept me on the cross for you. You don't serve a God that is a million miles away. Don't be deceived by the religions of this world that the God that you serve is dead. He is alive. He is on the throne of glory and he cares for you. Hallelujah. It's your resurrection day. Hallelujah. He's calling you out. Praise you, Jesus. I want to end with this. Praise you, God. When Jesus rose from the dead and they went and they heard his disciples and they went to him and the angels was there and they said, why do you seek the living among the dead? We still do the same thing today. They said, he's not here. He's risen. He's alive and well today. And the Bible says in John 20, In verses 5 and 9, it says when he stooped down and looked in, he saw the linen clothes lying there. See, he he told the people when Lazarus came out of the tomb, he said to them, you loose him and you let him go. I want you to take a moment and just look around. Just look around here. Look at your neighbors. Look around for a moment. Just look at people. He sent people today into your life that when he he brings you out of your tomb, that he's brought them to loose you, to help you unwrap the grave clothes. See, he cares enough for you that he says, even when I bring you out, you're not going to be alone. I have sent people to you to help you. And he's saying it, the same thing. But here's the amazing thing. When he rose again, the Bible said that his grave clothes was folded. Folded! Meaning nothing held him there. It wasn't the hatred of the Pharisees and Sadducees. It wasn't his enemies that misunderstood him. Nothing held him there. He came out alive and rose again. He wasn't held by any insecurities, any addictions, any suffering and pain. He rose again. Hallelujah. Katie, can you put up Matthew 27, please? A lot of people do not see the scripture in the Bible. It's Matthew 27 and verses 50 to 53. It says, when Jesus had cried, when Jesus had cried with a loud voice and yielded up the ghost, 
It says, and beheld the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And verse 52 says, and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which rose slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. He demonstrated and he gave an example to all of us that death has lost its power. Death has lost its sting. Oh, grave, where is your victory? Because I conquered death, hell, and the grave. And I have set an example for my children that when I rise, they will will rise again. I will not leave them alone, but I will come to you. I am your ever-present help in time of need, but I will come to take you home with me that where I am and where I dwell, you will dwell also. Today, church, is your resurrection day. If you came in with feelings of grave clothes and you have put things in a tomb, he's calling you out. He's saying, child, come forth. It is your resurrection. I am standing before you today calling you out. He is alive. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Thank you. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. There's an old saying when you start to go, you're you're losing your voice. That's good preaching. (laughs) So now you've had somebody yell at you. Okay, Jesus has whispered to you, I'm coming in whatever voice this is. Here's the deal, is we have to do something with what we just heard. And every person in here, there's some nugget, there's some morsel, there's some bread that God wants you to chew on. He wants it to become life to you. He doesn't want this to be just any other day, just any other preaching, just another time where you sat and whatever you took it in as that that's all that it is. He intends for this to be something for you. We had occasion every week this happens to me where you don't understand maybe the call that when you have a burden for somebody that a pastor has, for example, or an evangelist has, that we, we, we want to help. We want to be part of your life. We want to, we want to see Jesus imparted coming down through because if you're too blind, if you're the walls are too big. Whatever it is, it's keeping you from realizing that resurrection life. We want to help break through those barriers. And yet, many times we are held at hand at bay like this. And sometimes as parents, grandparents, you guys know that. You want to help more than people will allow you to help. And so here's the thing. As Kevin was preaching there, one of the things to me, a modern day illustration might be, is it you might help us and you might patch us and you might stop for a victim, somebody who is, is uh, potentially going to die. They're going to they're bleed to death. But if you knew they have AIDS, they'd probably stop you in your tracks. You really think twice if you were going to sacrifice your life at the risk of getting something that they've got. And yet that's really what Jesus did is, He actually went up and he's going to bandage. He's going to take care of. He wants to mend. 
there's no sin condition, there's no issue in your life that disqualifies you from the love of God, the care of God, the resurrected life. There is nothing that is so great that you can do or maintain in your life that overpowers the cross. That's the message. Is it, what, who dressed you up anyway? Do we have Zechariah? Go ahead and put three, one, and, and three up on the wall. We only got a couple minutes. I'm just going to give you a couple. Here it is, Joshua the high priest. And it says that he's standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing on his right hand to accuse him. Do you understand that the voice that you hear that puts you into those places, that causes you to withdraw, that causes you to build walls, that's not God's idea. His idea is open. He says he created us to be naked and unashamed. And look at how we've clothed ourselves or how somebody else has put clothes on us. That's not who God intended you to be. It's who you've become because of all kinds of issues of life. And what he wants is he wants a shedding of those things, the layers that have have weighed you down. He says here, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, his people, you're chosen, Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. It's important to understand that the high priest should have impeccable garments. They would be pristine garments. There wouldn't be a wrinkle, a flaw in these garments because he was going to come into the holiness of God. As a matter of fact, the law dictated before, after he entered the presence of God, he would actually change his clothes so that he wouldn't take those clothes and get them perverted by humanity. So that's how pristine, how precise. And here he is, the high priest. He's identified wearing these filthy garments, sewer kind of garments. And so, go ahead and put that last verse up. I'm sorry. He spoke and said to those who were standing, remove the filthy garments from him. Again, he said to him, see, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. Wow. It's not robes and garments that you can purchase. It's not what you can afford. Some of you went out and you got nice Easter dresses on and you spent some money on that kind of stuff. And some of you don't, not so much, doesn't matter. It's not a matter of of how you can dress yourself. It's how he wants to dress you. So the question is, who dressed you? Who dressed you with that pain? Who dressed you with that resentment? Who dressed you with bitterness? Who dressed you with fear? Who dressed you with whatever the subject is, whatever it is that's holding you back from being able to emerge from the grave? Do you know what? Whenever Arlene can tell you this, okay, I never fold my clothes after I wear them. I mean, I cast them. You look in my bedroom, you find them. There's a place where we're supposed to sit and you can't sit there. That's got Joel's clothes on it. And I just do that until I take the stuff out and then we do laundry. But it sits there, see? Sometimes my clothes stand there. I'm not supposed to put those things back on. And there's things that he's delivered you of, he's taken from you. He took them from you, and he's wept over you when he's seen the condition of your life. He's wept over you when he's seen what life has done, what people have done what situations have done, he weeps over. He weeps over you. And he he wants it to be, the garments he left behind, he said, I'm not using these ever again. I'm not using these ever again. Don't, Don't have any need of them.
That's what he wants you to leave today with. That you're not going to wear those old garments anymore. You need a new identity and your identity is in him. He wants to be the one who dresses you up because you, folks, are a presentation of him. See? You're his representatives. He says introducing. The kind of introduction that Kevin got this morning is the kind of, of introduction that God wants to do for you on any given moment, on any given day, no matter what your circumstances are. He wants to dress you up for his own glory. He wants to reveal himself through your life. And folks, today what I'm asking for is for you to consider the altar. Worship team's going to come up and our last song is called an anthem, the anthem. I want you just to consider, you don't have to share it with us, but by coming forth to the altar, what we get to do is we just, maybe, maybe it's just a matter of a, a little touch. I'm going to have Kevin ask you to be up here with me. And we're just, it might be just a matter of saying, here it is, that there's like this Shazam moment for you today. A Shazam moment that says, okay, get rid of those filthy things. Boy, you stink. Don't be offended if we say you stink. Okay? The idea is to get that stuff off and put on what Christ has purchased for you. What he wants you to walk in. What he wants you to be seen in. What he wants you to be known for. Folks, it's time to stop holding out. Stop stop holding back. Stop holding on to the, the, the puny little life that we've been living so far. God says he, through Jesus, is that we can have abundant life. So let me ask you just to trade the little puny life for an abundant life and do that this morning right off the bat. Could you do that? If that's you, just come on up. Let's stand. I gave it earlier this, uh, this week. I love this reading. It's out of Psalm 20. Thank you, Jesus. Psalm 20 reads this. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. May he send you help from his sanctuary and support you from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and find your offerings acceptable. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. Then we will sing for joy over your victory. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Father, thank you for resurrection. Thank you, God, for a promise. Thank you for hope that you've given us in our hearts. I pray, God, that you will use the very words that were spoken today. Out of, out of uh, the, the words, you will speak a word. You will speak a principle. You will speak to us the truth, God, of where you have for us to be, the victory that you have purchased for us. And, Lord, that you'll minister to us and you'll groom us and you'll grow us up. You'll shape us and, and let us be transformed by your life, your resurrected life. Let us walk in that glory that we give glory to you that we're an ever-living testimony to your power, to your glory, to your goodness, to your greatness, God, to your majesty. And Father, I pray, proclaim the blessing over your people now that you've already blessed us with the greatest gift, which is everlasting life. I pray, Father, for our eyes to be wide open, for our minds to be renewed and transformed. I pray for the courage and boldness to go about and be faithful to do 
what you've called us to do, that you will empower us in Jesus' name. Amen.